comes jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass, furry as a mouse, it's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a suey nature, a suey nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. It's a mighty fine, a mighty Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 171, In a Beautiful Way. Sunday, June 18th, 2017. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. The Yarns at Yinhu podcast has a Facebook page, and it's available on iTunes. Each week, I post show notes, photographs, and links to the things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. You're also invited to join the Yarns at Yinhu group on Ravelry, where I love to chat with listeners of the show. And there's usually some sort of make-along or cook-along or other project going on over there. I hope you join. Today's episode features the following segments. Yarn Lover at Large, The Front Porch, The Back Porch, and Off the Shelf. On Friday, I had the very great pleasure of heading into Brooklyn to meet up with Jenny and Melissa. Together, we took in the Georgia O'Keeffe Living Modern exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum. And then we were joined for a really gorgeous lunch at the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens by Allison And Melissa had to dash off to her afternoon and evening engagements. And Jenny and Allison and I had time to walk through the gardens a little bit and then sit in the outdoor cafe area and chat and knit. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about this Georgia O'Keeffe exhibit because it was just so extraordinary and powerful and it has very specific connections to making and garment making. Living Modern is not explicitly about Georgia O'Keeffe's paintings. There have been many, many exhibits featuring different aspects of her artwork. But this exhibit is more about how her personal style her understanding of interiors and domestic style and her paintings merge into a kind of singular vision uh, and persona. So it's set up chronologically from her very early years. It even includes some school photographs. She was teaching, I think, at a school in South Carolina for a while And then eventually she is in New York where she starts getting some publicity, mostly from Stieglitz, who then became her partner, um, 
and the flower paintings and all that kind of thing. But then the exhibit progresses through her life and work where she moves out to New Mexico after her partner passes away. And then she had a very long life, so very late into life with her personal style, her vision of art, and around the outside walls of the exhibit, which goes straight back. You don't wander through this space. It goes straight back in one uh, singular progression. Around the outside wall are nearly 100 photographs of her, predominantly by Stieglitz, but also Ansel Adams, Andy Warhol, um, Calvin Klein, and they often, the pieces in the exhibit and these photographs of her have this conversation and the exhibit is just wonderfully curated to help you see and understand some of the connections between her life, her personal style, and her work. Georgia O'Keeffe was an amazing seamstress and saved many of the garments that she made by hand much earlier in her life. Later in her life, I guess her, her work schedule, her changing taste and style and also macular degeneration at the very end of her life prevented her from making a lot of her own clothing. She bought off the rack, she had things made, but with the same uh, high consciousness of style and efficiency and uh, really well-crafted garments. Her early years in New York are defined by black and white clothing. And there are just some exquisite pieces. They're nearly a hundred years old and have been well preserved. And you can see this incredible detail uh, to hand stitching. There are incredible garments that are almost completely hand sewn. And then as she matures in her work, as she leaves New York, she finds a I guess, a bit more relaxed atmosphere uh, and lifestyle in the Southwest. She starts to add color to her wardrobe. Uh, She starts to imitate a bit um, some native dress, not explicitly, uh, more in form, a little bit of color, like the feel of the garment. She was a big fan of wrap dresses She had very few pieces of jewelry, but they were very well chosen. And some of her clothing has, uh, it points toward a core type of androgyny, um, where it's really about the form, it's about her seriousness as an artist coming through. Uh, She never dressed in a way that was overtly feminine. Um, And there was always a an aura of mystery and distance in many, many, many of the photographs that were taken of her. I think I could gush for a long time about all of the pieces in this exhibit, and I will be thinking long into the future about what I saw and the meaning of the phrase modern living and what it meant for her. 
it's difficult to formulate uh, thoughts to put into this podcast, but just a few things that have been running through my mind, some sort of themes or threads going going through. Uh, one, as I said, popularizing the wrap dress, black and white dressing. She was also very fond of ponchos and capes. There are a few mentions in the exhibit of her taking apart something she really liked and having it made in different colors or different weights of fabric. She endlessly repaired her favorite pieces and wore things long after they were already worn out. There's a hat where the crown is worn through in many places and she's photographed still wearing that hat. There's a pair of trousers that have been mended countless times. They're in a case because I don't, I think they're probably too fragile to even have hanging up, but it's evidence of her taking care uh, and using her craftsmanship to make do and mend and repair the things that she really loved. There's a reference in, in one of the placards next to the pieces of this phrase, fill space in a beautiful way. In her early life, she was very much influenced by an artist, Arthur Wesley Dow. And in Dow's teachings, he took something, some concepts from the Far East and kind of infused them in an artist's philosophy. And Georgia O'Keeffe seemed to really resonate with a lot of that statement. And in especially in her New Mexico home, she is frequently photographed later in life with collections of things, stones, pottery, bones, things she found in the desert. And it's clear that she is filling her space with these things that she really finds interesting and cares about. Another thread through this exhibit is that the photographs in particular are a study of aging, not even aging gracefully, aging powerfully, really owning her age, her experience, her wisdom. And with some other friends, we've had an ongoing conversation. It's not one I initiated, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot, about having female models for aging well. In the United States in particular, we tend to value youth and firmness and vigor. And yet we're all getting older and less firm and we don't have a lot of encouragement for models, especially female models, of how to do that well. And so I've been thinking about, well, who would be worthy of emulating in that way? Where is there evidence of how to do this? And in this exhibit, there's abundant evidence of a woman who really understood herself and how she was presenting herself to the world, really stuck true to her values and how she wanted to spend her time, what she thought was important. And there is just wonderful photographic evidence of her aging process. 
and some of the later photographs just show intense aging in her face and hands and a kind of a really willful pride in that process that's evidence in her expression. Um, so I think that will continue to be something I explore and think about over the course of this summer. This is a touring exhibit. It will appear in North Carolina and also at the Peabody Essex Museum in Salem, Massachusetts later this summer. Hmm. I'm not sure of the dates, but I know that it's making at least two more stops. So if you have a chance to take it in, I heartily urge you to do that. Uh, there is some good information about the exhibit online. I will link to a New York Times review and, and the website. And also, Jenny encouraged me to have a listen to the Thread Cult episode. Do you know about Thread Cult? I had kind of, it had fallen off my radar because the podcast um, host is a little bit infrequent with her episodes, but they're always very good. And the most recent episode has her interviewing the curator of this exhibit, Wanda Korn. And she talks extensively about finding out about all of these uh, holdings of clothing and other personal artifacts that were uh, given over to the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum in, in New Mexico and about her work in putting this exhibit together. It's fascinating. And it's, of course, it's not as good as the real thing, but it's it's a really good listen if you're not able to make it to the exhibit at any point. There's also, as always, a book that features photographs from what's on exhibit and other pieces of the collection that fit into this conversation. As always, these books are very pricey, but I think for a, a maker, for a sewist, this could be a really worthwhile purchase because there's a lot of information in there about, about filling space in a beautiful way. I think that's such a more comforting way of, of looking at living and interiors than the whole Marie Kondo thing kind of gives me anxiety because it feels like you're being encouraged to part with things before you're perhaps ready. And I think maybe the way Georgia O'Keeffe looks at it is skewed in a more positive fashion. So instead of thinking about what goes, think about bringing things into your space that give it life and beauty. And that your life your wardrobe, your work, your intimate uh, interior sphere, they are all part of one um, integrated whole. I'd like to thank Melissa and Allison for brilliant conversation throughout the day and your company, and to Jenny, who is just the most gracious New York 
hostess, she is always really thoughtful in putting a day together, how much time to spend at each thing. Thank you, Jenny. If you have a chance to visit the Brooklyn Museum, even if you're not that familiar with New York, if you get on the subway, the Brooklyn Museum is a stop. You walk up the steps and you are there. And the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens, absolutely gorgeous, are right next door. So it's a great way to make a day of it, go with some knitting friends, and have a wonderful, wonderful day of beautiful things. The front porch. On the front porch is a second Tsumu Tsukazi. This is a design by Michio. It translates whirlwind. It's an asymmetrical sweater design with a very relaxed fit knit from the neckline down. I just completed one of these and I'm knitting another. This time in the absolutely extraordinary Samite from Blacker Yarns. This is a purchase I made through the Woolly Thistle, who is the North American purveyor for Blacker Yarns. Did you hear about this in Claire's most recent episode? It's wonderful news. And this this yarn is incredible. To work with, it has a bit of a crunch to it in the way a a linen yarn might have a little bit of crunch. It has many different kinds of fibers, including silk in the yarn. So it's not as pronounced a crunch as it would be with linen, but it still has that feel to it. And yet I can tell from working with it how this is going to soften and just be this really interesting, it's textural in feel as well as in color. The color I'm using is Bursting Fig, which is a beautiful muted purple color. I think if my soul had a color, it would be the color of Bursting Fig and just the image of Bursting Figs and the reference to uh, medieval art. All of those connections are just a really special combination to be knitting into this sweater. I'm not sure if I will make any changes to the pattern as I knit it, this being the second time, I usually have difficulty resisting the urge to make some changes in shape or structure. Uh, But I plan to complete this sweater by the next episode I record. And you may be thinking, since I've begun this sweater, that I have completed my afternoon, or no, jasmine tea sweater, but I have not. I encountered some challenges when I was working on this sweater. I put it down to knit the first Tsumu Tsukazi start to finish because I was really motivated to knit that sweater. And when I picked it up again, I realized, of course, a couple weeks later, I realized that my gauge had loosened considerably. And so when I began the lace portion of the top of this sweater, I was working 
on half of the stitches and knitting back and forth. And I laid it out and I held it up and it was huge. It, it was just so big. And at first it took me a while to figure out what was going on with the sweater. But then when I really started examining the stitching, there was a really big difference from my earlier knitting and then picking it up again after finishing a different sweater. And I just wanted to put the whole thing aside, but I resisted. Instead, I ripped back to where it seemed to me the problem had started. I switched to yet another smaller needle size, US size, US size three needles. And then I finished the body of the sweater, which I'm knitting with alpaca yarn. And then I began the lace again. And for the lace, I have switched to US one and a half needles and some beautiful um, John Arben, Devon Gray, Wensleydale for the lace. So I knit all the way back to where I had been. I completed a few lace repeats working front and back or back and forth and figured that it's looking good. I like where this sweater is headed. And then I set it aside. It got really way too hot and humid to be working on this sweater, even though the design would work beautifully for a spring or summer sweater. The yarn that I'm using makes it a fall and winter garment. I'm not motivated to complete it right now because I won't be able to wear it for quite a few months. And it's just not pleasant to work on. And I fear that because it's uncomfortable to work on, I may loosen my gauge as a response. And I really need to keep a nice tight gauge to keep the sweater in the shape that I want it. So I have decided to set this aside until probably after Rhinebeck. And then I will have a nearly completed sweater to work on and finish that will be perfect for the winter holidays. This gives me some anxiety because I am not in the habit of setting things aside or failing to complete them. I will sometimes say that I want to work on something and then never start it. That's one thing. But being this far into a sweater and not finishing it right now isn't my usual thing. However, I feel like it's the right thing to do. I'm very motivated to knit a second Tsumu Tsukazi, something that I can start wearing immediately. And then I have a lot of other plans for things to work on throughout the summer and early fall. And some of those things have deadlines. So I think setting this aside is the right thing to do, even though it's an unusual thing. In the meantime, I have knit up Yet another project start to finish that I didn't even mention last time. I think maybe I had cast on the Busta Beanie by Goodwin Johnston. And this is using a beautiful um, farm yarn hand-dyed kit from Foster Sheep Farm that I bought when I was on the farm and fiber tour. Carol dyed up these wonderful kits. There's a lot of yarn in this kit. I'm even contemplating whether there's enough yarn 
to knit a second hat. I needed to go down in needle size and stitch count in order to get the appropriate gauge for this hat because I'm such a loose knitter. And I did struggle. I struggled quite a bit with keeping this super, super simple stitch pattern straight. I made a lot of mistakes and kept having to rip back. Maybe it was like deceptively simple or I was just lulled into thinking that this wasn't going to be hard at all. But it was it was a challenging knit for me in, in all of its simplicity. The other thing is that I knit, at one point I knit too far. Uh, because of my gauge and my row gauge, I really only needed to complete two full repeats of the chart plus another rows one through seven before starting the crown. And I knit way beyond that. I think this hat is going to be a gift for a man and a lot of slouch will probably not be appreciated. So I kept it as a more close fitting cap. And that may be why I have more yarn as well. I slowed down the crown increases, decreases rather, I slowed down the crown decreases. Uh, in order to compensate for the fact that I really could have gone another half chart, but then the colors wouldn't be right. So I had to think carefully about how I was going to alter the pattern and still get the full effect of the design in the hat. I started up on this because last weekend, Samuel and I traveled to Saratoga Springs, where Bovine Social Club had a really awesome show at Cafe Lena and Carol Foster, Tom, her husband and Mary Jane Peltzer, the soap maker of, um, Washington County fame. Um, they all came to the show and we got to hang out and visit a little bit. And I thought that taking that hat project on that short trip would be a great way to make some excellent progress on it. And it was. I finished the hat over the course of this past week, and it was lovely to visit with Carol, Tom, and Mary Jane. Once again, the patterns that I mentioned in this portion of the episode are Tsumu Tsukazi, a sweater designed by Michio, Bustabini by Goodwin Johnston, that's a free pattern, and Jasmine Tea by Amanda Bell, which will go in a timeout until a little bit later this year. If you are working on tops for this summer top make-along, our deadline for this make-along is June 21st. However, I will not close the thread, a thread I'm using for prizes, until just before I record episode 172. And likely that will be the first or second of July. So if you're still working, if you haven't even started, but you wanted to join in this make-along, you still have about two weeks to work on summer tops. Because I don't think it's right to close the thread until I'm actually going to draw the prizes. Prizes, by the way, are excellent. There's a $25 gift certificate to the Woolly Thistle. There are two incredible hand-sewn quilted tote bags by Fernanda, made by Fee. And there is a really cool DIY project bag 
by Craft Buzz. You can do like adult coloring with fabric markers. You could do puff paint. You could embroider the beautiful sheepy design on this project bag, or you could do a combination. It's kind of a great take-along project, and you could store some knitting in that bag while you're working on it. It's been a great make-along, and it's not over yet. So join in, check out the posts on our Ravelry thread, and you can see summer tops being finished in rapid progression as the month comes to a close. Off the shelf. After visiting the Georgia O'Keeffe exhibit, I started thinking about whether there might be poetry inspired by her painting in particular. And I came across a relatively recent publication by Jessica Jacobs. It's a collection titled Pelvis with Distance, which is synonymous with the title of a George O'Keeffe painting. I believe she has several of this type. That's a piece of very bleached bone held up against a bright blue sky. And one of them is titled Pelvis with Distance. This collection was the winner of the 2015 New Mexico Book Award in Poetry. And it's, according to some uh, research that I did about it and some of the reviews of the book, it's very well researched. It combines research as well as imagination. And the poet spent a month in a very primitive desert cabin while she did a great deal of writing of these pieces. After having done a lot of research, she sort of immersed herself into that desert setting in order to do the writing of the poetry. And so I'm going to be sharing with you the title poem today. It's very brief. I will read it twice. I really like that technique of Robert Bly of diving right back into a short poem and giving it a second read. So I will use that technique. I learned a new word as I read this poem, and the word is loop, L-O-U-P-E. It's pronounced loop, and it's a term for a magnifying glass, a very strong magnifier that's used by jewelers and watchmakers. Pelvis with Distance by Jessica Jacobs. Bone grows from desert in distance. Bone grows girdling sky. Grows vast and trunkless. Sockets stocked with light. Pelvis is a loop. Is meant for looking through. Pelvis that hollow and arch Distanced, basined by bone, ambit of absence. I am, you are, always looking through the other. Bone grows from desert in distance. Bone grows girdling sky. Grows vast and trunkless, sockets stocked with light. Pelvis is loop, is meant for looking through. Pelvis that hollow and arch. Distance basined by bone, ambit of absence. I am, you are, always looking through 
the other. Acorns jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks in my spyglass for as a mouse. It's a sweet nature, a sweet nature thing. It's a sweet nature, a sweet nature thing. It's a It's a mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. Leaves lay down like a lady, waiting for a naked man. River bends like an elbow, turning stones to sand. It's a sweet nature, sweet nature thing. It's a
Mighty fine, mighty fine, a mighty fine nature thing. 